There is a common saying in heaven, God is in all of us, the evil as well as the good, but we are not in God unless we follow the divine design in the way we live. There is a divine design. It's written into the universe, into our bodies, into the natural world, and into the spiritual world. It's something that you can know, live, and it's something that can change who you are. And we're gonna lay out how to live the divine design in a couple of handy steps right now. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg and Life. Today we're gonna to give you two steps to awaken to God's design, which if anything is worth two steps, it would be that. And you heard in the intro, we gave you a little bit of heaven slang, or this is what the kids are saying in heaven. So Swedenborg, spiritual eyes opened, traveled there, learned that this is actually something people are talking about. This is a common saying in heaven, God isn't, so what, what do you say when you're in heaven? God is in all of us, the evil as well as the good, but we're not in God unless we follow the divine design in the way we live. So this is about dwelling with the divine. This is about getting life together. So it seems pretty obvious that following the divine design is pretty important if it's gonna connect us. It's, that sounds great, like I'm living in God. So how do we get there? Well. The more fully that we follow this divine design, the more fully we can occupy the same space. We can live with God. So God is in every space. God is omnipresent, and God is especially omnipresent through this divine design. So much so that Swedenborg even calls God, as we'll see, the divine design at times. And good news for compatibility's sake is that we are small instances. We are created as a gathering together of all the elements of the divine design. We talked about this quite a lot in the show we just did, so go check that out for a little background if you need it. So God is always in us. We're never going to be able to get rid of our citizenship, uh, God's citizenship in us, but we got to close that loop if we really want to connect and let God do what God wants to do, which is make us happy and whole and everything we're searching for and deep from deep in our core as human beings. We have to follow this divine design in how we live. In this sense, the divine design is the blueprint for, for a happy, fulfilled, complete feeling life. Swedenborg talks about this in True Christianity. The more we follow the divine design in the way we live, the more fully we are in God because, because of God's omnipresence. Because God is omnipresent, he is intrinsically present, so to speak, everywhere in his divine design, in the sense that he is the divine design. So how are you gonna live in God other than living in God? <laughs> because God is the divine design. But that saying in heaven was pointing out that we don't necessarily take God up on that. So how could we not be where God is, which is everywhere? Well, it has to do with our freedom and our ability. Really, we have this grand choice that here's the behavior, here's the life, here's the motivations that God is recommending for greatest use of this instance of the divine design that we are. But we also have the freedom to reject that and say we're going to do the opposite of that. We can actually live out of alignment against the divine design. Swedenborg goes on in True Christianity. Now, because we have been created as forms of the divine design, as I said, God is in us. But this is true only to the extent that we fully follow the divine design in the way we live. So the divine design is something that can guide actions. When we do not follow that design in the way we live, God is still in us. 
but, and this is interesting, only in the highest parts of us, making it possible for us to understand what is true and intend what is good. That is, he gives us a capacity to understand and an inclination to love. So God is never going to revoke, would never want to, nor could revoke our consciousness card and our ability to access the higher things that would lead us to more and more truly human ways of acting. But we can put limits on how much God can really get in and give us what we really need for spiritual life. The more we go against the divine design in the way we live, however, the more we bar the lower levels of our minds or spirits and prevent God from descending into them and filling them with his presence. As a result, God is in us, but we're not in God. So you could feel like, well, I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty strong. If I can keep God, I can bar God from coming into the lower levels of the mind. But the, the issue I have with that is God is the best investment that you can make. In the, everything that that divine wisdom is trying to bring is all the, the answers to all of the struggles we're facing here and all the challenges that we have. We're trying to get a, we're trying to find happiness. We're trying to get our life set. We're trying to escape the things that are harming us. That's what God wants to do and more. So if we're shutting God out of the, the lower levels, which is where we're usually engaged consciously, we are working against our own happiness which is a problem. So what we're doing in this show is figuring out how do we open ourselves to that love and wisdom that God is trying to get down into us. And here we're going to look at an essential foundation for understanding our two steps that are going to bring us into that divine design. Hudenborg writes, the Lord does come into every one of us bringing his love and wisdom, but unless we're following the divine design in our lives, that life, although it may indeed be in us, makes no contribution whatever to our salvation and read salvation as that lifting up into happiness that I was talking about, because that's what God is interested in. God wants us to be happy, to be spiritually and mentally healthy. It gives us only the ability to understand what is true and do what is good. So we, are, we have these two things given to us always, and these are the foundations of the two steps. We can get it, we can understand what needs to be done, and we can go and do what needs to be done. This is how we start to awaken to the divine design. But if we're going to talk about awakening to the divine design, that seems to imply that we are asleep right now or that we are not initially in the divine design. So how does that work? None of us start out in alignment with the divine design. Through no fault of our own, we're born into evil. But what does that mean? This isn't original sin as commonly understood, but just that by heredity, we have the tendency to have self-centered, ego-based desires driving the way we think and act. We each have freedom, but we inherit this spiritual baggage as our starting point, as Curtis talks about in this clip. Swedenborg talks about something that he calls spiritual heredity. So if you think about your ancestry or your family tree going back all these generations, we know that there's a physical heredity. The genetics are passed on generation to generation. We're learning all about that through science. Swedenborg says it happens on the level of the heart and mind or, or the spirit as well. And that actually with the spiritual side, the way that we live our lives affects what we pass on to the next generation. So if somebody up the chain from me, great-great-grandma, great-great-grandpa, lives a life where they love something that's what we would call evil or ego-based or harmful, and they decide they're going to do it willingly, they're going to incorporate it into their life, they're going to practice it, that actually becomes a part of their spirit, and they pass it on to their kids, who pass it on to their kids, and all the way down to this is where we get the baggage that we have from. There's 
years, thousands of years of humans accumulating these negative tendencies and they end up in us. That's what we start with, tendencies towards these things. However, it's not just the negative stuff. If anybody up there works to live a life of useful service, of love, of resisting harmful things, that makes it easier for the next generation who can then make it easier for you. So that, given that it's not stopping with me, that my kids and their kids are going to have lives that are influenced by what I do here spiritually, it's an impetus to really go and live well and, and resist what's harmful beyond just for myself because we're setting the heredity and the tendencies for those to come. This heredity doesn't condemn us. We're not personally responsible for what we inherit. It's just the default nature of our minds, which is good to understand. Here's what Swedenborg wrote about this in Secrets of Heaven 8550. From our parents, we are each born into the evil that accompanies self-love and materialism. Every variety of evil that we have acquired by habit as a kind of second nature, we pass on to our offspring. So we hand down a cumulative heritage from our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, going back in a long line. Inherited evil, therefore, becomes so massive in the end that any life we possess on our own is pure evil. The only way to break or change this ongoing pattern of inheritance is through a life of faith and neighborly love granted by the Lord. So it's absolutely possible to change and rise above that default, and any effort we make to change will have an impact on future generations. That's the main work of our lives in this world, to make daily choices in freedom to live in alignment with the divine design. So that's nice that we can all get somewhere good, but what was this, what's she talking about at the beginning? That we are all, we start evil, <laughs> born into evil, and we pass evil along. Isn't that a little harsh? Isn't that a little old school religious sounding? But I would argue that this is an awesome uh, teaching that Swedenborg has, an awesome labeling of what we already go through, a clarification. And I can, I can give this to you from personal experience because Swedenborg happens to lay out this list of what it's like to be in the mindset that's out of the divine design. Uh, and it matches exactly what my mindset is. <laughs> so I'll walk you through it. He, he talks about first, when we're out of the divine design, when we're out of this alignment, what are the symptoms? Well, first of all, we're not trusting that we are concerned, maybe constantly concerned about where is life going? Look, there's all these factors and all these events that don't seem to be pointing towards what I want and don't seem to be pointing towards taking care of me. It's because we don't, when we're out of the divine design, we can't see the care that is in the divine design and understand through the priorities the divine design has that we are being taken care of. And amazingly so. We're also not content, which kind of goes hand in hand with that, but it's just me looking out and saying like, well, this person got this, and this person got this, and I only got this, and so wh why don't I have what's better? <laughs> and then there's this focus on worldly and earthly things, which if you're not content, most likely the things you're not content about is, well, why does this person have this worldly, earthly thing, or why are my worldly, earthly things not like this? Not realizing that God is concerned with what's eternal. So the things that we're being given, they're actually much more valuable are the states of mind and the knowledge and the lessons learned. Anxiety, which speaks for itself and is certainly a, a cascading effect of these ones above it, because if you don't have this trust, the anxiety has nothing to, and you have nothing to inoculate you against generalized anxiety. Then we go into the desire to possess all things. And this could show up as like you want wealth, but it could also be like you want all the love around you. Like, I, oh, everyone's got to recognize how great I am. <laughs> Why aren't they? Obviously I am. 
desire to control all things, which can go hand in hand with that because when the world seems unfriendly and chaotic, or when you see yourself as more important than other people, you necessarily say, well, I know how I want, or I have to protect myself, or whatever it is. And then finally, the distress at not getting what you want, or things not going your way. All of these are sort of the up, the peaks and valleys of the ego. And while sometimes you do get what you want, the overall happiness isn't there. And so what, if you love that mindset, if you love that experience, we, you know, I, I hung out there for, for quite some time and still go there on a daily basis. But there's this other way of being that we can get to. And God is on our side trying to pull us into this more uh, even upward, happy, open, trusting, peaceful state. And the way we let God move us into that is use our freedom to align with the divine design. There is a promise actually here. When we follow the divine design in the way we live, we are in God because God is omnipresent in the universe and in everything within it at the inmost level. Since things on the inmost level are in the divine design. Hold on to that because Jonathan's about to talk to you more about that. And this is a way that there can be order even within what seems like chaos. Things that go against the divine design are all outside that inmost level. On the outer levels, God's omnipresence takes the form of an ongoing struggle with things that are against the divine design and a constant effort to restore them to the divine design. So that, if we're in that state we were just looking at and we're anxious and we don't know how to help ourselves, just know that God is promising here that there is a ceaseless effort to move us out of that. Even when we're asleep, even when we're not thinking about it, this is all that's on God's to-do list, is to move us back into the divine design. The more we allow ourselves to be restored to the divine design, the more thoroughly present God is in each of us. I love that idea of it can always get more and more thorough, the bond there. Consequently, to a greater extent, God is in us and we are in God. And God, to, to make good on this constant effort, you can see that in the way that God has built into the design a way to help us. So you might be thinking that it's an enormous, overwhelming, impossible task to realign ourselves to the divine design. But there's a trick. There's something that's working in our favor. We are already in the divine design in the innermost part of us. You can think of this as your true self or your higher self. This is Divine Love and Wisdom 270. All evil characteristics and their consequent distortions, whether inherited or acquired, reside in the earthly mind. I love Swedenborg's desire to figure out on which level are these different things. The reason evils and their consequent distortions reside in the earthly mind is that in form or in image, this mind is an earthly world. The spiritual mind, though, is in form or in image a heaven, and there's no way for evil to find a welcome in heaven. So from birth, this latter mind is not open, only potentially so. The earthly mind derives its form in part from substances of the earthly world, but the spiritual mind derives its form solely from substances of the spiritual world. This latter mind is kept in its wholeness by the Lord so that we can become human. And becoming human, in effect, means being restored to the divine design, 
to our own unique potential as God intends it. So we're fortunate to have a part of us that's already in alignment with the divine design. And then the job is to start a relationship with that part. How might we do that? Well, the life of Jesus gives us an example. He showed in the way that he prayed to the Father something about this potential for an inner and outer self dynamic. This is True Christianity 1.10. The Lord's praying to the Father while in the world as if the Father were someone else and humbling himself before the Father as if the Father were someone else followed the unchangeable divine design established from the time of creation, which everyone has to follow in order to form a partnership with God. So he was just showing us how it's done. This is what you need to do to humble your outer self and open up a connection with this higher self where heaven already exists. So as we learn more about our higher self and begin aligning with it, we are opening ourselves to God and allowing ourselves to be restored to the divine design that already exists there within us. And here's what we get when we align with that innermost level. Here's the benefits package you receive. The more we follow the divine design in the way we live, the more we receive power against evil and falsity from God's omnipotence. The same evil and falsity that are causing all the unhappy states of mind we talked about in that list earlier, receive wisdom about goodness and truth from God's omniscience and are in God because of God's omnipresence. So these three omni attributes of God suddenly are all working in our favor to lift us into happiness and joy. We explore that particular quote in depth in a News from Heaven episode we did called Four Steps to Receive Power from God. So check if you, if you want more steps on your plate, we got four more of them here, but we still are getting to our two steps here. We're just about setting up our foundation. Really though, the last piece is what do we do? Right? What do we do to get into that divine design? And this quote is going to give us a clue. It's going to get us on the track there. TC 110, as we forge our connection with God by living according to the laws of the divine design. Okay, that is what we need to accomplish. God forges his connection with us and turns us from earthly people into spiritual people. So that's the direction and if we're going to get to our two steps, they've got to be made out of these laws of the divine design. But what are the laws or the principles of the divine design? In order for us to awaken to God's design, Swedenborg writes that for the image or form of heaven to be restored for us, we need to be educated in the principles of the design. So our knowledge of the design is an essential key. But what are those principles? Good thing that in True Christianity number 71, Swedenborg describes a conversation he has with a hellish spirit who challenges him, demanding he tell him about divine order or the divine design. And in reply, Swedenborg lists seven succinct principles. So here they are. First, God is the divine design itself. And second, he created humankind on the basis of his design and in keeping with it and built that design into us. Third, he created our rational minds in imitation of the divine design in the whole spiritual world, and our bodies in imitation of the divine design in the whole physical world. This is why the ancients called a person both a heaven in miniature and a world in miniature. 
forth. As a result, it is a law of the divine design that we are to rule our microcosm, or physical world in miniature, from our micro-heaven, or spiritual world in miniature, just as God rules everything about the macrocosm, or physical world, from his macro-heaven, or spiritual world. And fifth, it is a law of the divine design following from this that we are to bring ourselves into a state of faith by means of truths from the word, and bring ourselves into a state of goodwill by means of good actions. And this is how we reform and regenerate ourselves. And sixth, it is a law of the divine design that we are to use our own power and do our own work to purify ourselves from sins. We do not stand in impotent faith and wait for God miraculously to wipe them away. And then seventh, it is also a law of the divine design that we are to love God with all our soul and with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are not to hang around and wait for God miraculously to put each love into our minds and hearts like putting bread from the baker in our mouths. So looking back at number four, that one reflects that higher self, lower self dynamic that is at play in our spirits that Jonathan spoke about earlier. And if we check out number five again, how we're to bring ourselves into a state of faith and a state of goodwill, that gives us a clue as to just what the two steps are that we need to take in order for the divine design to be restored in us. So what are the two steps? Drum roll, what do those seven principles boil down into? Okay, you asked for it, we answered. The two steps are acknowledge God and do something. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're gonna unpack them, but those really are the core uh, essence, that it really is the core essence of these two steps. And understood rightly, what seems simple could be a really powerful tool. Swedenborg lays this out in True Christianity 68. We have to acknowledge God, His omnipotence, and our resulting safety from hell, and do our part, there's the doing something, do our part to fight against the evil that is with us. This acknowledgement and this fighting go together as part of the divine design. This is a very specific deployment of your resources, of your will and understanding, and you gotta have both parts to live in the divine design. So let's start with the acknowledgement. Okay, we know God exists. Why is this acknowledgement important? The divine design is that we arrange ourselves for receiving God and prepare ourselves as a vessel and a dwelling place where God can enter and live as if we were his own temple. We have to do this preparation by ourselves, yet we have to acknowledge that the preparation comes from God. This acknowledgement is needed because we do not feel the presence or the actions of God even though God is in fact intimately present and brings about every good love and every true belief we have. This is the divine design we follow and have to follow to go from being earthly to being spiritual. You have to acknowledge God's involvement because it's the truth. And, and getting to the truth is what's going to get us out of the states of mind that are disruptive and are all based on falsity. Drilling down even farther into that, Swedenborg writes, furthermore, we must keep in mind that only the Lord is actually active in us. Oh yeah, just keep in mind, only the Lord is actually active in us. On our own, we are completely passive. Thanks to life 
inflowing from the Lord, we too can be active. Because of the constant inflow from the Lord, it seems to us as though we are active on our own. Because if you get through a problem or a struggle, but don't understand that it is not God is out there somewhere, not that God is sometimes paying attention to us, but that God is the life coming into us and is every good thing that led to us getting past that, it's a missed opportunity. Because what's really valuable is to get that understanding that we are cared for by God and that God, we, don't, we actually couldn't even do anything without God. This allows that peace that pushes away all the illusory disruptions. Because of this inflow, we have free choice which is given to us so we can prepare ourselves to receive the Lord and forge a partnership with Him. Forging a partnership cannot happen unless that partnership is reciprocal. It becomes reciprocal when we act with our own freedom, and yet on the basis of faith, we attribute all our action to the Lord. Because it is so set up that you can't tell. You can't just feel, oh, yep, I, feel, I can feel God lifting me up and putting me down and doing these things. We completely have the choice to say, I believe that this is God, that all good comes from God and that, that we have this uniting. Or we say, nah, this is, this is just me on myself. I'll go it alone in the world, which that going, going it alone is absolutely what leads us to those dysfunctional states of mind that I find myself in all the time. God, is the, God as love and wisdom is the only thing that pushes back against the, the adverse goals that lead us into those agitated states of mind. Because when I'm in life just for myself, or when the, the most sacred, fragile thing is my reputation or what I wanted to have done, I'm never going to be happy. But when I understand God is so u- intimately united to me that this is, this is, God is everything good that happens in my life and is the plan to bring me to better things, that's when you get that peace. And that acknowledgement to say, okay, God, you exist. Just try that. Just do that. Like literally do that when something hard is happening. Say, God exists. Just in your little mind, because, you, you know, it's going to make it worse if people hear you saying it out loud. But I'm telling you, there is a reaction. Or, or maybe it's not always evident, but I've definitely felt it evident in me as I do it. Okay, God exists. And acknowledge not just that phrase, but what God is. That God is the force that powers everything inside us that can fight back against that. God exists. Step one. And everything that means to you, and everything you've developed, the meaning of that throughout your life, one, God exists. But what about the second step? Right, we've got that. Let's say we've got that. This doing something. What does that entail? Well, we'll lay it out for you. It all depends on how we prepare our intellect with truths. Up, oh, substeps our intellect with truths from the Word, and adapt it to receive faith from God, and how we prepare our will with acts of goodwill and adjust it to receive love from God. So the two primary faculties of life that we have, our ability to understand things and our ability to want things, we've got to get those into shape. Prepare the intellect with truths. What, what do you think the purpose of this whole channel is? Off the left eye is about preparing the intellect with truth. We are trying to lay out a framework for our minds that allows us to get to this level of trust in belief in God. Because if you don't have good answers, to life's questions. If you don't have an understanding of how God is and how this stuff can actually all be working out for good, you can say, okay, I, God, you're going to do good things, but you, you can't really believe it. When those doubts come in, they swamp you and you, you're, you're, you're out. you got no chance. But the more that these intellect is prepared and these truths become alive in us, the more that when those doubts come, you can say, no, I, this, this I know to be true, and those things have something they bounce off with. We got to prepare the intellect, and then you got to have these acts of goodwill. So what's that? Does that mean okay? You got to go out and do like a 
flash mob at the mall. Does anyone know what that, that used to be a thing people did, where you sing a nice song that is it random acts of kindness? Well, what does that mean? So this is a great, uh, if, if somewhat mystical treatment of that. As for us though, our acts, our services in forms to the extent that we live according to the divine design. That is, in love for the Lord and in thoughtfulness toward our neighbor. To that extent, our acts, so whatever we do, are correspondences that unite us to heaven. In general terms, loving the Lord and our neighbor is being of service. It's not about, I'm going to see how many good acts I can tack on here. This is about our day-to-day motivations. Putting love for the Lord, which is a love of good, the love of doing what is good, and love for the neighbor, which is the love of the means and the truths. And, and you can drill down into those a number of different ways. But putting those things, for, when that is what we want, then anything we do can be these acts of kindness. You prep the intellect, get the right ideas in there, and then living from, f- through those ideas from the right motivations, for the, which, which we can feel the Lord put into us sometimes, this love for what's good and what's true. That is how you do what you need to do. Another way to put it is that following the divine design in the way we live really is living God's commandments as we understand them. So it comes down to these two steps. Acknowledge God and do something. And putting those together leads us to some really awesome stuff. A quick preview here for you since you've made it this far through the video. We feel like you owe you one. We owe you one. Those who trust in the divine are altogether different. By the way, this is probably my favorite Swedenborg number. It's getting close. Those concern, though concerned about the morrow or what is to come, yet they are unconcerned in that they are not anxious, let alone worried when they give thought to the morrow or give thought to what is to come. How's that sound? Would that be nice? They remain even tempered whether or not they realize desires and they do not grieve over loss. Not that we are emotionless, but they are content with their lot. Meaning, meaning I know within these circumstances, God is going to bring me what really matters. It doesn't mean that you can't have what you would see as positive things happen. If they are promoted to important positions, they do not consider themselves worthier than others. It's not that, okay, I won't, I won't be uh, powerful or, or wealthy. It's if, even if I get there, my heart wasn't on it, so it doesn't mean I'm better than you, because that's, that's an appearance. What life really is, is that God is everything, right? This is that acknowledgement of God. Pay in dividends. If they become poor, they are not made miserable either. If lowly in status, they do not feel downcast. Why? How could you possibly get that? Because you have this truth prepped in your intellect. They know that for those who trust in the divine, all things are moving toward an everlasting state of happiness. Okay. That's pretty good. But how about this? And that no matter what happens at any time, it contributes to that state. How could you be okay with being downcast and things happening? Because you know, sure, there's temporary circumstances that are around that, which are not pleasant, but they're going to come and go. But what God is doing in our intellect and in our will during that, what we are learning about life, how that's shaping what we really believe and what we love and who we are, the divine is ceaselessly as we read before, guiding it so that that is going to make us happier forever. Whatever it is that we learn there, whatever it is we understand or have to live through, that is only going to happen if there is a way that that can make us 
both happier forever and able to help the human race better forever. That's the only promise that could make it so that rise and fall in this world, we know things are gonna be okay. And the peace of mind, the peace of heaven that results from that. So we've got to acknowledge God, our steps, acknowledge God, fill our minds with truths from sources that feel right, reflect on them, and through them and through the right impulses that come from God, commit to doing acts of loving kindness and living in alignment with love. That, my friends, can I call you my friends? Are we friends by now? That is the divine design. And that is what, that state of peace and happiness is what it's all about. And that's what God is trying to do. And as we live in that, that changes our spirits. That changes us as a, at a fundamental level. So this sets the stage for the Lord to come in and just like your body can change when it's moving back into health, our spirits change as well. There's an, there's a, you, if you could see it with a microscope, you would see a literal change in the way the inner part of you is organized. And actually, we're going to dig into just what that looks like in our next episode, Awakening to God's Design Changes Your Spirit. Hey, Off the Left Eye community, we're very excited to announce that we're starting a brand new podcast called Inside Off the Left Eye. Every Sunday, starting July 19th, you'll get to come Inside Off the Left Eye with me, Chelsea Odner, to hear exclusive interviews with Curtis Childs and the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Rose as we explore fascinating ideas in Swedenborg's writings and delve into their historical context. Inside Off the Left Eye is your place to get sneak previews and extras of all the content Off the Left Eye produces, as well as to learn all the ways that you can be involved so you don't miss a thing. Subscribe now to Inside Off the Left Eye wherever you listen to podcasts. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high quality programming. This season, we're featuring the opportunity to support our newly established endowment fund for Off the Left Eye. Consider your ability to be a part of our growing family by going to otle.cosvox.com today to make a one-time or recurring donation. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins.